Hello, I am Katerina Sliva. I am a partner at Dentons in the Real Estate Group. I am also the head of our Land Use Planning, Municipal and Development Law Group. I help our developer and landowner clients secure zoning and other development approvals for their projects. I am the lead of our Canada Smart Cities Think Tank. I am also your host for the Smart Cities Chat Podcast Series, brought to you by Dentons. This podcast series covers a broad range of topics within the smart city space. Everything from drones, communication, 5G, privacy and related issues, P3s, transportation and smart mobility, sustainable, smart communities, and much, much more. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now over to our podcast. Our next uh, panel uh, will explore expanding high-speed internet across Canada. I will just briefly say that Michael is a co-founder of the Dentons Canada Smart Cities Think Tank. He sent, uh, centers and focuses his practice on corporate and commercial law, corporate government governance, mergers and acquisitions, public-private partnerships, smart cities, and the transportation industry. And uh, welcome, Michael. Uh, I'll turn it over to you to introduce uh, your co-panelist, John, and start us off. Thank you both. So uh, welcome. And um, we've got a half an hour to, uh, to chat. I'll, I'll run through your bio so everybody has a, a fix on who you are and what you've done. And then we can, um, we can get into some questions. So um, John is the Chief Investment Officer of uh, Canada Infrastructure Bank. He leads the investment team is responsible for implementing the, the bank's investment and advisory strategy, including transaction advice to um, public sponsors, transaction structuring, capital deployment, and asset management. Uh, John's uh, team members actively work with public sponsors across Canada at all levels of government, develop uh, project priorities, and build opportunities for partnership with the uh, private and institutional investors. John's recognized as uh, a leader in the Canadian infrastructure sector and has for more than 20 years of experience in lending and structuring, advising on uh, project finance and public-private partnership transactions across a variety of um, infrastructure asset classes. He has extensive experience advising both public and private sector organizations active in the um, uh, infrastructure sector and was instrumental in advising on many first first of kind PPP projects in Canada. Uh, somewhat tragically, John started his uh, career practicing law at Tories, which was one of our major competitors. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, wisely went on to uh, um, being the uh, managing partner of PwC's infrastructure and government services team in Canada. And uh, I was founding and uh, managing um, Investec Bank's uh, project and uh, infrastructure finance presence in North America. So John, um, let's set the stage. Um, maybe you could tell our audience uh, a bit about um, the bank's, uh, bank's long-term vision, particularly focused on broadband and, and getting more granular into um, the specific project that you've just uh, initiated. 
Sure. Thank you, uh, Michael. First of all, it's good to see you again. It's been a little while, uh, given the state of the world, since we've had an opportunity to get get together. So it, it's great. And the, the last thing I'll say before I dive right in is, and there was no Dentons way back then when I was at the other guys. So um, uh, anyway, I, I hope I get a pass. Um, so look, uh, for those of you who don't know much about the bank, uh, it, it's it, it, the bank was really formed by the government on the premise that the infrastructure gap in this country is too big for either the private sector or the public sector to fill alone. That's really the premise behind the bank. And, and so the notion was, how can we create an organization that will bring the principles of disciplined investing, whether it be it by, by, uh, by lending equity, we, we can play anywhere in the capital structure of a deal, uh, and catalyze along with us private sector capital to come in and facilitate infrastructure projects being built that would otherwise have a tough time getting built or getting off the ground. And that's really the, the notion. And so what are some of the parameters? Uh, really quickly, we don't do grants uh, at all. Uh, we are investors and we expect a, our base case always has a return of our capital and then at, at whatever you know, prescribed return that is in, in any specific deal. We need private capital in every deal alongside us. So in other words, we couldn't do a loan to a public sector body across the country or just have them contribute to some sort of SPV structure and have us contribute and that's it. That doesn't work for us. We do need bona fide private sector capital or institutional capital. We, we, we lump it institutional with private sector capital. Um, in terms of size, this is a question we get asked qu quite a lot. Uh, we have $35 billion to invest, uh, and it's really tough to do that $10 million at a time, as you might imagine. And so we, we, we don't like to paint a hard, uh, a hard line on this or draw a hard line in the sand, but we're looking generally at a CIB investment of about $100 million uh, minimum. And so when you factor in that we need private capital uh, in in that and sort of the percentages where our comfort level lies as disciplined investors, that generally means you're looking at a project in the $200 million range plus. Now, there are exceptions. We have programmatic exceptions to those numbers. Uh, we're trying to be responsive and we're trying to be realistic. Uh, we really are focused on uh, uh, action and, and getting deals closed. And so we are in three programs that are exceptions to that rule. One is building retrofits, which uh, has a, a minimum of about $25 million. Uh, the, the other is uh, zero emission buses, which is in about $20 million range. Uh, that's to allow for smaller municipalities and school bus operators, et cetera. And the third one is really important. We wanted to have an impact on indigenous communities, closing the indigenous community infrastructure gap. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't take you a long time to figure out that uh, having a $200 million capital requirement for projects doesn't get you to do very many indigenous community infrastructure projects. And so we've really adapted our process to, uh, to allow for us to make a minimum $5 million investment. And that covers off uh, a lot of energy needs in indigenous communities. It covers off uh, some broadband needs in indigenous communities and um, uh, and water, water wastewater type uh, treat, treatment plants, which which allow, allows us to do that without otherwise. A um, couple of other interesting aspects about the bank. Uh, you know, we're an impact investor. 
a lot of people say they're impact investors. We are actually an impact investor. When we use the letters ROI at the, at, at the CIB, the I is not necessarily a dollar number. Uh, it is not based on a return on our money, but we are based, we're outcomes based. So part of the outcomes that we look for, part of our return on our investment are GHG emissions our connectivity for how many households and premises are now uh, uh, achieving high speed. How, how, how many do we help to get to high speed that weren't previously, um, that weren't previously connected? Um, uh, you know, connectivity of communities through public transit, um, all, sorts of, all sorts of outcomes that way, but we are very firmly outcomes focused over actual dollar return focused. And that's a, that's a, that's a key part for us. The last thing I'll say is um, on, on sort of who we are, is uh, that we require projects that we invest into to be revenue generating. And, and the rationale for that is pretty easy to understand. Once you accept that we are investors and need a return of our capital, we need private capital in the deal and they need a market return for their capital and their investment. There needs to be a source to repay uh, that money. And so we hope that by choosing the right projects, by catalyzing the right money in by being smart in the way we structure and work with our public sector partners across the country uh, to get a lot, a lot more done. Uh, and, and so far, so good. We, uh, we have uh, achieved enormous success after what I'll uh, candidly refer to as, you know, a, a bit of a failure to launch uh, in the early days. I think that that's uh, not not a secret, but I also believe that that was very uh, structural and it was a live and learn scenario. There's a lot about our governance that that stood in the way of us getting things done that has since been corrected. And I think the results are speaking for themselves. You know, to date, we have approved investments of about $6.3 billion. Um, and we've attracted approximately $6.7 billion in private institutional capital alongside us. Um, and we're, we're headed towards a trajectory of... Um, committing to investing four to five billion dollars a year over um, you know over the long term so that's that's who we are uh, where we are um, segueing into broadband we have four five I guess uh, approved sectors that we play in so it's important to say we are not all things to all people we were never designed to be that way we're in public transit trade and transportation, green infrastructure, clean power, and broadband. And uh, our initial foray into broadband, Michael, uh, our initial mandate, the government asked us to try and help with the government commitment to connect every Canadian to high-speed internet, which uh, I'm sure most people on this call will know the CRTC defines as 5010 uh, in terms of upload-download speeds, uh, download-upload speeds, I should say. Uh, so that's, that's who we are, that's what we do. And um, uh, the focus of this session again is, uh, is broadband connectivity. So uh, Mike, I'm happy to talk a little bit more specifically about you know, what we're looking for in that space or uh, you know, the one, de one deal that's public so far, I'll, uh, uh, I'll be guided by you on, on what you want me to address next. So why don't you talk about the one deal and then we'll step back and, um, and look at the different components that uh, that go into putting together a broadband deal. Sure. Um, so the one announced and closed deal that we have is uh, we call Southern Manitoba Fiber. 
it is with uh, a, uh, a small and growing, a small but growing ISP uh, called Valley Fiber. I think I love to tell this story because it is exactly the poster child for what I hope will be more to come. I got a call one day from the Manitoba government who said, we have this really excellent local provider. Um, they need some money because they're capital constrained and, and we all know the challenges, the capital challenges of, of, of uh, reaching, uh, getting to hard to reach places in broadband. We connected and I really liked what I heard. These people clearly knew what they were talking about, clearly were good at what they do, but they asked me for something like, I forget what the number was, some like $8 million or something like that. And I said, that's a problem. It's a problem for us uh, because that's not the business we're in. We're trying to have impact. This is a real problem in this country. And the more we got to talking, the more it occurred to me to ask them, well, what's your five-year plan? Let's forget about what you need for next year. What's your five-year plan, your 10-year plan? What's your growth trajectory overall? And in the course of that discussion, you know, I, I like to think that I encourage them to think big. And it's not often that particularly smaller ISPs are in a conversation where the person with money on the other side says, assume there's no capital constraint. <laughs> assume money's not a problem. That doesn't happen very often. That's the conversation that I had with them. And that's in fact, the conversation I have with many uh, smaller providers. And, and, and you know, they uh, ultimately put together a plan uh, that was good enough and credible enough to uh, uh, attract an external large global investor also to the table. And at the end of the day, we funded, uh, we invested in a project that is going to connect between 45 and 50,000 homes in Southern Manitoba. The uh, um, CIB investment is about $164 million in, 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 in that investment. And I think it's structured in a way to allow for them to uh, share the risk with us on uptake, uh, get, get to those hard to reach premises, and importantly for us, uh, not rely on overtly on grant funding, which is a big part of uh, broadband connectivity in this country and, and getting deals done. So we really love the result of that. Uh, of that collaboration. And we're uh, encouraging uh, people that are see themselves in a similar vein to, to, to give us a shout and, and chat with us. So let's, um, uh, let's just look at the different players here and the components and how they, um, they play together. Looking first at the, um, the federal government and, uh, uh, and its role, it's, um, uh, CIB is, uh, has focused $2 billion on large-scale um, broadband projects. Uh, ICED has the Universal Broadband Fund. CRTC has a fund. There's probably two or three other sources of uh, funding for the broadband space. How does CIB play together with those partners? That's a great, great, great question. When, when we started to uh, investigate how we could play. Our natural instinct was to create our own strategy. Uh, one of the things we recognized very clearly from our discussions with the sector is that it, it was too fractured already. There were too many 
different programs and there was some confusion out there about who could access what and and they were done in different ways and 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 so the conclusion we quickly came to at, at that point in time is that we shouldn't go out there and and create further confusion but while retaining the right and uh I, I think the ability to do deals on our own, like we did with um, uh, Valley Fiber, uh, we also began to collaborate very substantially with all those other government programs. And so what, what the re result of that was that we have worked very closely with our colleagues in Ottawa at ISED on the UBF. Um, they were very welcoming of our participation. We came up with a strategy to try and encourage large projects because again we we need that impact and we need the big dollar numbers in order for us to play uh, they involved us in the formulation of ubf we began to have discussions with uh is whoever whatever isp wanted to speak with us um, about it um, and and to this day uh you know ubf and, and the, the awards and announcements, of course, got interrupted by, by the election. I think you're going to see a resumption of that uh, very quickly. Um, and, and along with that, there'll be some indications of um, some projects that we're working on together. Uh, so with UBF, really, you know, we have done quite a sophisticated calculation at the CIB uh, where we recognize that the harder to reach places are going to require just concessionary capital like ours. But, you know, if you look at especially some of the larger ISPs, some of them who are, uh, who, who, who are uh, you, you know, the credit worthiness is investment grade, they can borrow these days at pretty, pretty, pretty compelling rates. And so having us come along and say, well, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you a loan at 1% doesn't in and of itself do it unless we had some added value in terms of structuring, in terms of the risks that we take, in terms of um, the way we structure repayment. But even still, there's generally for larger projects a requirement to have some element of grant capital in addition to our concessionary capital for the harder to reach places. And so we have partnered, there's several that again, you'll hear more about uh, in the very near future. Uh, uh, and we, we, have, we have partnered to actually create this tripartite investment where we have capital from the ISPs, some grant funding, and, and, and then some investment from us. And, and we do an analysis internally called cost to Canada of, of connecting. And so there's actually quite a sophisticated financial optimization in terms of how many homes or premises you can connect. And, and depending on the interest rate charge and the term that you attribute to that and so on, um, the, the amount of grant capital you need versus concessionary uh, loan capital. And so there's a lot of work in the background to figure out to optimize that and allow ISEDs UBF money to actually go as far as it can possibly go and, and, and allow us to step into the fray to help, uh, to help spread that money further so we can pick up the slack on the larger projects. So that's ISED and UBF. Um, we're also working with, you know, the other, the current project that I know a lot of people on this call will be very interested in is, is, is Ontario. Uh, Ontario's program is coming soon. We are uh, speaking, uh, we're in discussions with Ontario about how to uh, play an effective and helpful role in, in uh, alongside of them. Uh, there aren't a lot of other formal processes going on um, right now in the country, but uh, 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 we are in discussions with virtually all of the all of the provinces. 
um, and some municipalities, frankly, with that have unique challenges and unique needs. So uh, all of that, along with uh, discussions with the ISPs, mostly large ones, just because of the size uh, parameter that we have, I, I will be you know clear and 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 upfront about that. But but again, going back to my opening example with Valley Fiber, I, I would welcome discussions with uh, ISPs of all, all sizes to see if there's something creative we can't do. Well, it sounds like you've addressed the silos. Um, and um, the next thing I, I, I'm interested in is the, uh, the role of the, of the public uh, sector sponsors. Um, uh, do they have to initiate process, uh, projects or is it the private sector that does that? Do they, the private sector, if, uh, do they have to marry with the public sector before they go to CIB? Um, do the public sector have to play an active role or can it be a passive role? For example, in the, in the Manitoba Fiber Project, it almost looks like the public sector are the beneficiaries, but the players are the private sector and CIB. I think that's right. I mean, uh, I, I think that's right. I, I would I would say it's just a slight tweak on what you said. I would say the beneficiaries are the fifty thousand homes that are getting that are getting connected, <laughs> not the public sector. Uh, and so the people that are in those uh, and 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 broadband is one of those uh, one of the more unique sectors that we play in because, as a general rule in this country, uh, broadband is delivered by the private sector as opposed to all of the other sectors that we play in or most of the other sectors that we play in. So it gets kind of a unique treatment uh, in that regard. Um, and so how do projects come to us? How are they initiated? Who initiates the conversation? From all over the place, from public sector, uh, uh, from public sector entities or organizations that realize they have a problem in their province, municipality, region, whatever it is, from ISPs who say we have a plan, we would like to connect this, but the economics don't work. Uh, you know, we don't know what we're going to get from UBF. Or when we first started talking to them, UB, we don't know when UBF is going to launch. Was you know, and and what the parameters would be, how much money they would get. So we entered into some of those discussions. Um, I, I think, you know, I want to raise something that's very, very important to us. The last speaker, I caught the last ten minutes of the last speaker. And he, he said it, he thought it was uh, important that we are technology agnostic in, in growing the broadband. And, and we are. I want to make that very, 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 very clear. I mean, it has to be a proven technology, but we are technology ag agnostic. Now, does that mean we'll fund anything anywhere? No. It means we're looking for the best solution, the optimal solution, given the geography that is to be connected. And sometimes that's going to be fixed wireless. I mean... Obviously, we would rather pay more now to future-proof with high-quality fiber. I mean, I think that's a given. But, but that's not always possible. It's not always possible and, and, uh, and not always desirable, depending on, on, on where, uh, where we're talking about. So we are technology agnostic, but we're going to try and be, uh, we're going to try and optimize the technology used. That's the one thing. In terms of business model, look, uh, we are actively in discussions and considering internally all sorts of models from, you know, the UBF type. I mean, traditionally in this country, the ISPs just, you know, they go ahead and, and they, they fund it with grant money and so on, and they own the, 
the wires and they provide the services and, and, and that's the way it's done. Uh, we, we have been doing significant research on other models. Uh, we are very welcoming of those discussions. Other models that could include a separation, for instance, of what we call, you know, wires and services and, and a sort of utility model where, where somebody could own and pay for the connection, uh, the backbone and, and, and last mile even, and, and, uh, and then uh, make that, that infrastructure available to service providers. And, and that model has an interesting spin on it as well, because that could be a private sector owner of that backbone. Uh, and that lends itself quite nicely to a, P, a typical P3 type model, but it could also be a municipality. It could also be a public sector model and then, and, and, you know, hence the whole utility model where they could regulate rates and so on. So there's, you, you know, there's a lot of granular thinking that has gone into that, which is, is, is too, too, too deep for, um, for a session and the time we have today. But I wanted to mention that we are very open to all of those types of models. We are actively considering them and uh, have done enormous amounts of research uh, on many of them and would welcome discussions with anybody who is also thinking in the, along those lines. So let's talk about the broadband as a utility model. And um, that's in the context of a, a, a very difficult uh, business case. Yeah. So um, you, you look at um, Manitoba fiber mm -hmm. and it's in Southern Manitoba and there's lots of people. And so when you talk about revenue generation, there's lots of, it's, it's a relatively, um, there's 2000 kilometers of, uh, of wire, but it's, um, it's relatively contiguous and there's a lot of potential revenue. But if you look north in Manitoba, if you look at the, the 100, 150 communities in northern uh, Manitoba, where it would take you 4,500 kilometers to connect them, in some cases to very, very small communities. So you're right. gonna drive relatively small revenue. And so how do you have those two things come together? Part of the government's mandate, big need, huge capital cost, relatively low revenue yeah your mandate is that um is that there has to be a return on investment um what does is that a project for you uh, if it is does there have to be massive grants um if um if it isn't um, a monetary return on investment um what other kinds of things can you look to yeah um Great, great questions. And, and I, you know, I'll, I'll start by hearkening back to my earlier comment that we, we certainly are not all things to our, all, all people. And, and that's a precursor to saying, you know, that extreme example of uh, remote communities that are very expensive to reach. I, I think you phrase it, is that a project for you? Probably not, frankly. I mean, that's the candid uh, and short answer. Because if you take it as a given that we need, forget a return on capital, let's just talk about a return of capital. If you just take that as a given, it's simple math to say we at least need, and we can be flexible. We can say we can, you know, we can uh, we can pick our interest for 20 years. We can have bullet payments until year 30. We can we can do all sorts of massaging to the structure that make it as cheap as possible. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a certain critical mass of dollars available to repay us. And, and in some of those areas and in some of those projects, that simply is not possible. 
And so there's only one solution and that is a massive grant injection. So we like to, you know, the way we think about broadband is, is the way we think about, we, we think about it in three categories. There, there's those projects that don't need us at all. If, if you, you know, if you, uh, uh, if you live here in, in Oakville where I live or, or in Etobicoke or in downtown Toronto, they don't need us at all. The economics kind of work, work for, for them. And then the ISPs generally do those on their own. Um, th there are the ones that are so far out there, the type you just described, Michael, that it just, you know, we, we, at the end of the day, we really don't make a difference that the needs are so great and the dollar numbers are so great that that's just, that's going to fall squarely into the government category. And then there's the, the um, in between, in between part. And that's where we're going to play with, with the right structuring, with the right uh, amount of, of well-placed capital and well-structured capital, we can make a difference to minimize the amount of uh, grant capital available and, and, and lead in, in that way and try and be helpful. John, this has been terrific. We've run out of time. I wish we had another two hours. We don't. <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking the time, John. No, my, my pleasure. And uh, as I say, I would encourage any of your listeners to follow up with us at any time. We're always happy to have a chat. Our process is no more formal than that. Send us an email, pick up the phone, and uh, we, we'd love to engage. Thanks to you and Dentons for having me. Appreciate it. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take and refrain from taking action based on its contents. Please see Dentons.com for legal notices. Speakers from this podcast episode and any other professional in our group will be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other topic related to smart cities. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our Smart Cities Chat podcast series.